you're going to stay with us, you can turn to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. All right, let's get Daniel chapter 5. And if you're still trying to find a seat, we do have some open seats here and there. But be mindful, guys, we're going to have to squeeze together a little bit. This is just part of this new location. So get friendly with your neighbor. Amen. Daniel chapter 5. And this chapter breaks down into two parts. Uh, Verses 1 to 12, we're talking about the handwriting on the wall. Is that a common phrase? Does everybody here know that phrase, the handwriting on the wall? They say the handwriting is on the wall. And then verses 13 to 31, I'm calling that section, the party's over. The party's over. Chapter 5 and verse 1. The first word, Belshazzar. Belshazzar. And we need to say a few things about this man, Belshazzar. Because for the longest time, people believed this was a mistake in the Bible. Just that, that one word. That man, they said, never existed. Because for well over 15, 1600 years, nobody could find anything about Belshazzar in, in history books. Anywhere. Babyl- Babylonian or otherwise. It was gone. And it wasn't until, and, and for this reason, by the way, most historians said that not only is this wrong, but that the last king of Babylon was a man named Nabonidus. So we know about Nebuchadnezzar. He had a son, Nabonidus. He's not mentioned in the Bible. But, but the, all the historians agreed he was the last king of Babylon. He's the one that was in power when the kingdom fell, which we're going to read about at the end of the chapter. And then in 1854... There were four clay cylinders excavated in, the, in, the, in a city called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. And on one of those cylinders, they had an inscription. And it was written, a man was praying to the moon god. And it, it was written there, Belshazzar, the eldest son, my offspring. Nabonidus had been praying to his god, the moon god, and he mentions his son, Belshazzar. It was the first time in 2,300 years anybody had any evidence that a man named Belshazzar actually existed. That evidence was buried in the desert for 2,300 years. Now, if you need the historical and the archaeological evidence to believe what God said, there you have it. But it would have been safe to simply put your faith in the inspired and preserved Word of God. In 1882... They found some cuneiform text. Cuneiform is just a particular way that they write or that they wrote back in the day. This was called the Nabonidus Chronicle. It was published. And it explains how Nabonidus was what we call an absentee king. So although he was the king of Babylon, he spent the majority of his reign outside of the land of Babylon. And that that piece of uh, text, that manuscript, explains he left his son... Belshazzar in charge while he was gone. So we call this a co-regency. Nabonidus is still the king, but he's elsewhere doing other things. But his son Belshazzar did have authority and power. It's what they call the crown prince. Well, that's very consistent with what we read. And this is why the history books would not have said a lot about Belshazzar because he wasn't the most powerful man in that kingdom, but he was physically, geographically still in that area. And then in 1924, they found another piece of materials called the Persian Verse Account of Nabonidus. And it stated that he started off on a long journey, Nabonidus did, 
And when he went, he entrusted the kingship to his oldest and firstborn son, which is exactly how the Bible explains this. And since this time, throughout the early 1900s, they have found several other historical and archaeological texts that verify the Bible's account. And I find it interesting. God could have unearthed that information 2,000 years ago. Because these things are taking place in 536 B.C. That's the time of this story. God left it buried for a little more than 2,300 years. The truth was there the whole time. God gave the world a chance to take it by faith. God said, okay, well, I gave you that chance, which would have been a great honor, but he says, you need the evidence, there's the evidence. So there are bits and pieces in the Bible, you know, we read it, people say, well, there's no historical evidence for it. Just wait. Just be patient. God will give you the evidence you need in due time. And until that time, we're safe to take it by faith. Now, verse number one, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. This is a massive party, all right? Verse 2, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the use of the word father, people find strange because they say Nabonidus was the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Throughout the Bible and throughout many other history books, when referring to a grandfather, great, great, great grandfather, you can just use the term father because it's somebody that biologically brought forth your line of people. So that, that's not a problem that it says father. He was drinking, it says, in the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. So he's having the party and he says, just to rub it in the face of the Jews that they conquered. Let's bring the golden and silver cups and vessels that they had in their temple. Belshazzar is kind of spitting in the eye of God at this point. Not enough that they conquered the Jewish people. But, but evidently their, their God, this Jehovah, must not be much of a God. Verse 3, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. Let me just take a brief moment to tell you, don't take lightly the things of God. He did. You say, well, it's just a cup. It's just a vessel. It's just a bowl. Yes, but those cups and vessels and bowls and plates, they had been dedicated to the Lord. I, I know this is just bricks and mortar and an unfinished floor. and I, I know everything you see here is temporal. I get it. But, but when something has been devoted to God, it is now sacred. And, and the Bible does warn us to take those sacred things seriously. Belshazzar didn't. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Now these, obviously, there's multiple gods that are involved here. These gods are still worshipped today. Even by many Christians. On Sunday, right? E even sometimes on Sunday, these gods are still worshipped. But throughout the week, the gods of industry, the gods of careers, the gods of your possessions, <clears throat> the gods that cannot add anything of eternal value to your life, they get the best of your attention, of your heart, of your mind, your strength. You pour your heart and soul into those things. Which, by the way, 
I don't think it's wrong that you try really hard at your career, school, various projects, even your hobbies. You're allowed to like those things and participate and enjoy them. But you understand there's a line that gets drawn whenever those things take the preeminent position in your life. And when you begin to put the things of God second so those things come first, now we're, we're praising those gods with a praise and an adoration that only belongs to the, to the God of gods. Verse number five, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Now, this would get your attention. This is a great way to stop a party. <laughs> if you have the term party pooper, <laughs> God, God's going to come in and just shut this thing down. Just the hand of God comes in. Now, we, we talk about, ooh, we want the hand of God on us, right? Well, the, the hand of God can come down, but you may not like what it, what it has to do or what it has to say. The, the candle there, as I don't know, maybe you can think of it as softening the plaster on the wall. And then the finger just comes and begins to write. Now, if you've just been mocking God, and then a hand shows up, it doesn't matter what that hand has to say. It's going to get your attention. Verse number six, then the king's countenance was changed. <laughs> that means the look on his face changed. Man, it was party time. He was happy, he was into it, man. He's smiling, laughing, just jovial. Nothing could get him down. Hand come down. Oh. <laughs> and now, oh my goodness, what have I done? He's, verse 6, look at, look at what he, how he reacts. The king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins, loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Well, I don't know how to put this tactfully. But nature called and he didn't have time to answer. <laughs> he, he wet himself. <laughs> those, those joint, everything got loosened up there. He went, Whoa. And then his knees started to knock. So here, here he is just, the, he's shaking, shivering, and everything has just gone wrong. Well, different people re respond differently to the conviction. But he's under conviction. God knows how to get your attention. God, God knows, God knows Sometimes he'll do it in church. This will probably be the easier way, but even at a party, even at a party, God, God help you if you still go to those things. God help you if you're hanging out with Belshazzar. But even there, God can still talk to you, get your attention. Years ago, there was a man named Rex Harrison. He was a cripple, couldn't walk, just had crutches. And man, that guy could play the piano. He used to come and play in church. He could play for 45 minutes straight and never stop. He'd just go from one song to the next and sing the whole time, outstanding voice. He had gotten saved, and then he backslid. He used to play in bars. He backslid, and when he did, he went back to playing the piano in bars. And one night he was playing along, you know, the lights are dim and the smoke is filling the air and... People are saying and doing the things that you would expect in a bar. And some drunk guy came up to the piano. He came right up next to him. He said, you know what, buddy? You remind me of God. <laughs> well, there's the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> That's, oh my goodness. Okay, I, right. And that is what turned him around. He said, forget it. I can't do this. God knows right where you're at and can put his finger right on the issue. And he does. 
He does with uh, Belshazzar here. Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He wants to understand what God has written. But he can't. And, and instead of reaching out to the man who would know, he reaches out to worldly, secular help. Which, if you have a worldly, secular problem, right? if you need to build, reach out to a builder. If you're sick, reach out to a medical doctor. But if you don't understand what God's saying to you, why would you think that those kind of people could help? These kind of people are not connected to that hand that just wrote on the wall. But he's, act, he's reacting in the only way he knows how. This is how his family has done it for generations. Don't you recognize this? Isn't this exactly what grandfather did? Nebuchadnezzar did the same thing. We've heard this song before. <laughs> and he's doing exactly what his forefathers did. Trying to find answers about God in the wrong places. You know how many people today are stuck in a church looking for God in a place that he hasn't been found in a long, long time, maybe never, but they keep going because mom and dad went to that church and Opa and Oma went to that church and they're just looking in the wrong places. He says in verse number 8, Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Hold your place here. Get John chapter 8. They could not understand what God was writing on the wall. John 8, get verse number 47. Jesus came down, and everything he said came directly from the Father. Jesus told us as much. If the Father told me to say it, I said it. And you know, there was a large portion of the crowd that could not understand what Jesus was saying. And, and it, was the, it was the religious ones, especially the religious leaders. They could not wrap their heads around what Jesus was saying. John 8, verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye, for, uh, ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. When Jesus spoke, it's not like what He was saying was super deep. You're in John 8. Look at verse 24. L look at how easy this is. Look at how straightforward this is. Jesus said, I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's pretty harsh, but it's pretty straightforward. And you know what? The, the religious crowd went, huh? What? That can't be right. Why, but, why would God do... But we're His people. But, but, and it, it just went right past them. Why? They're not of God. They, they were of Jewish tradition. They were of their culture. What had made them into the way they are? Their culture, their society, not God. God did not shape their lives. God did not give them that way of thinking, that approach to life. But a man that is of God, when God shows up and begins to write on the wall, says, that's my father speaking. Come to Daniel chapter 5 again. Daniel 5. So now Belshazzar is reaching out he needs help. But the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. Right? Paul told us as much. And if you read the Bible and you're not quite sure what it means, 
please take the example, follow the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. Understandest thou what thou readest? Philip asked him. He's reading Isaiah. He said, do you understand what you're reading? No. He said, how can I except some man should guide me? There's no shame in saying, I don't understand what God's written on the wall, but I want to know. And then go ask the right person. You, you, you don't go to this crowd. Daniel 5, and get verse... Um, forgive me, I'm going to go back just a little bit. At the end of verse 7, you see where he promises him the third position in the kingdom? I'll make you third ruler. The reason is third ruler. Nabonidus, his father, is the first ruler. Belshazzar would then be second in command. So the highest position he can hand out is the third ruler. So that's why he says third. Now, verse number 9... Then was, the, uh, then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were a stony. They, they just stood there with nothing to say, mouth open, what, what do we do? How do we help? And they couldn't. Let me take this moment to preach just for a, just for a second. If you don't understand what the Father has written in that book you're holding in your lap, that should trouble you. That, that should greatly trouble you. Now, I, I'm not saying that if you don't understand every verse, right? Because no one does. But when we read a verse like John 8, 24, when, when we read John 3, 16, when we read John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. If, if we give you a verse like that, you go, whoa, what's that mean? That should trouble you. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that in a mean way, like shame on you. I mean something deep down in your soul should start to send up a red flag. Go, wait a minute, if I don't know what that means, I better get busy finding out. Some, something's not right. So in verse number 10, he says, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, now this queen is either his grandmother or his mother, one or the other. Right? It could be a, Nebuchadnezzar has p passed away at this point, but it could be either one. That she could hold like an uh, honorary queenship. I don't know if that's an actual word, but I just made one now, queenship. <laughs> and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy, th thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. So calm down, get a hold of yourself. Verse 11, there is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar used to say as well. We know that it's just the spirit of God, but that's how they referred to it. And it says, and in the days of thy father, speaking about Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Right? The wisdom of the gods is the gods would know things that humans could not possibly know. Right? So with Daniel's case, knowing the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the interpretation. Right? Just the interpretation of those dreams and visions. That's something that a, a mere mortal could not figure out. That's the wisdom of the God she's referring to. Was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So strangely enough, Belshazzar has somehow forgotten about this Daniel character. And now the queen emphatically is, is reminding him, remember your grandfather made him the ruler over all these people that you've called upon. 
So you're leaving out the one source that is proven, tested and proven in this area. Verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Daniel had an excellent spirit. Isn't that a compliment? Would anybody say that about you? You have an excellent spirit? Anybody get around you and just go, man, I like being around that person. I'm around them for a while and it just encourages me and, and uh, makes me want to learn a bit more about God and it, it, it helps me through a rough time. That's what Daniel did. When Daniel showed up, answers came forth. A lot of times when we show up, complaints come forth. What's the opposite of an excellent spirit? Well, I think it would be, if I showed up and just, man, this country is this, and ESCOM that, and potholes this, and that building that, and, that, and just com- complain, complain, what am I giving? Problems. No answers. Daniel showed up and said, okay, these are hard things. These are hard sayings. There are some doubts. You're not quite sure. What if this? What if that? Let me give you some answers. Guys, we have answers. You know what this world needs? The, the world is in doubt they're struggling to interpret life. We got answers. We, we can show up with an excellent spirit. By the way, it's not your spirit, by the way. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And say, guys, don't, don't panic. You don't need to feel uh, to be overwhelmed by the pressures of life. There are answers to these things. That was Daniel. Verse 13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel. Now picture this correctly in your mind. Belshazzar probably in his 20s-ish, okay? I I would guess maybe older 20s. Daniel, upper 80s, 85 plus at a minimum, okay? So, art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry, out of, you know, amongst the people and places of the Jews. Well, that's kind of an odd way to refer to this old and honored man. Are you the one we brought out of captivity? Well, yes, that's true, but doesn't show a lot of respect. But then the respect comes in verse 14. I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. How did Belshazzar miss this before? Saying, I, I, he's just now heard of him. How do you not hear of him? You know what blows my mind? When, when you, got to be careful here because <clears throat> this might apply to somebody in the, in the room. When you say, turn to the book of Amos, and they say, who? <laughs> oh, you've never heard of him? He, he's, he's a prophet. Amos? And t- turn to the book of Obadiah. Oba what? Isn't that an instrument in the orchestra, an oboe? <laughs> How is it you've not heard of these things? Right? You know what Jesus would often say to his, uh, let's call them opponents, that's what they were, Pharisees, scribes. You don't understand what a scribe was? A scribe was a doctor of the law. He studied history books, specifically religious history books, especially the Bible. Do you know what Jesus would say to those doctors of the law? He'd say, have you never read and then he would give him a verse. 
That's all they did is sat around all day, every day, reading various books. He said, have you never read? And then give them a verse. And it was a verse that they had not properly considered. They'd probably read it, but were not familiar with it. Because you know there's a difference, right? So how did he miss Daniel? But in any event, verse 15, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me. They should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Daniel is in the room, older man. He's heard this song before. He's thinking your granddad went down this same path. But Nebuchadnezzar showed some respect. As soon as he found out that Daniel had a connection with God, Nebuchadnezzar showed some respect. And the next time Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he called for Daniel and got the answers he needed. He showed some respect. Belshazzar calls Daniel in, and this old man walks in the room, and there's cups filled with wine, half drunk, women half naked laying across tables and and couches and the party was still there the people are still there and the writings on the wall Daniel walks into that and Daniel not an idiot he walks in and he knows this Belshazzar kid man you 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 are just the prodigal son you've got you've gone off the reservation Daniel his response I'm sure by this point he's standing there Daniel's just thinking oh boy this guy what am I going to do with this guy? Now, Belshazzar promises him all these great things. <laughs> Daniel's response is just classic. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before, and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself. <laughs> king, keep, keep your stuff. I don't want your stuff. And give thy rewards to another. He said, you just keep all that stuff, third ruler, chains, scarlet, you just, I don't care about that. He's, 80, he's in his upper 80s. I don't need any of that. He says, yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. So <laughs> I have it in my mind, Daniel's yawning when he says, I'll, I'll give you a golden chain, third ruler. Because <sighs> he's an older man. <laughs> it's nap time. <laughs> They're having a party, right? You know what time you party. They got Daniel out of bed for this. Daniel's going, uh, uh, just keep it, I'll read it. <laughs> and, and probably very happy to read it to this guy because Daniel walks in and knows right away what it says. He walks in and says, uh-huh, finally, this guy's going to get what's coming to him. He says, just keep it. I'm I'll do this one on the house. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a freebie for this one. I'm going to enjoy this. Verse 18, O thou king... The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. That was the power of a king. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride. I can hear Daniel's tone change right about there. He's giving honor to whom honor is due. Your grandfather did this and this and this. He was a fine you know, king as far as Babylonian kings go. But as soon as he got lifted up, and now again, Belshazzar, I'm, I can picture him beginning to tremble. Lifted up with pride. 
His mind hardened. Verse 21. Forgive me, verse 20. Let's keep going. He was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild asses. And they fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that He appointeth over it whomsoever He will. Daniel gives him a brief history lesson that evidently Belshazzar had forgotten about. Your, your granddaddy learned a lesson. He learned that even though he had all power in his kingdom, there was somebody more powerful than him. And as soon as Nebuchadnezzar got lifted up and thought that he was the one in control and that he could do and say whatever he wanted and get away with it, God was quick to set him straight. And, and now this memory of granddaddy Bel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar out there eating the grass like an ox is flashing in Belshazzar's mind. And he's, he's remembering this. It's a brief history lesson. Guys, it's good sometimes to just remember where you came from. Remember how we got here, not just as an individual, but as a society. What's the old saying? You know, men, the only thing men learn from history is that men never learn from history. <laughs> Those that n- never learn history are doomed to repeat it. And that's what Belshazzar is doing. Verse number 22, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. You knew this. You studied it in high school. You passed the exam. You knew the information, but you never took it to heart. You never, you, you never actually learned something that you would apply to your life from the lessons of generations gone by. This is Africa, yes? We're in Africa? People talk all about the ancestors, my ancestors this, my ancestors that. Have you learned anything from them? Everybody talking about what the ancestors are going to watch over me, this and that. Number one, no, they're not. There's absolutely no evidence that that's happening. There's no reason to believe that. But number two, what about the actual things that happened to them? Have you learned, let's give the ancestors their due honor, right? Due honor. What did they actually do? And how did God respond to it? And that's good advice. It doesn't matter if you're black or white today. It doesn't matter what your culture or language is. Look back to your forefathers and learn from their mistakes and their successes. Stop repeating the same problems over and over again. Verse number 23, Daniel continues to preach, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines. And have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and of brass, iron, wood and stone. Which see not, nor hear, nor know. (laughs) Daniel's not holding back. He just lets her rip about their gods. Your gods are dead. See what he's saying? They don't see anything. They don't hear anything. They don't know anything. Your gods are dead. Your gods are useless. Which is why... I went into what I just said. Your ancestors don't see you. They don't hear you. They're gone. They're, they're, something else is happening with them now. They're not participating in your life as many people would like to think. Daniel was not shy to point out the people, the gods that you're trusting are not helping. 
say, well, that's just an African thing. All right, well, let's, let's make sure we apply it to everybody. Whatever that thing is that you trust to get you through the hard parts of life, whatever it is that you think is going to make your life a successful, happy life, right? They were praising those gods. So whatever it is that you're relying on, if that thing needs your help to continue to exist, you're serving a dead God. You know what? Some, some people can't get out of bed with, without one of these. Some of you will not be able to keep this in your pocket until you, until you get home. It'll be out in between the service. You've got to see something. You've got to check something. You've got to be in touch with somebody. You know you have to recharge this. You say, but it can hear me. I know. <laughs> it can see me. I know. Now it's looking at you. <laughs> but you have to recharge it. But, but, but we treat these things just, and, and listen, this is just one thing, all sorts of things, right? Maybe the thing that you love the most is parked out there. Maybe the thing you love the most is in your garage at home. Whatever it is, it's dependent on you. There's a great verse in the book of Hosea. He says, you guys have made idols. God is punishing you for that. And, and, and Hosea points out, because you made it, therefore it is not God. It is not God. If you can call it an it, then it's not God. Make, make sure that there's not an it taking the place of God. Daniel points out your gods are dead. But then he goes on to say in the last part of verse 23, And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. God is holding your breath today. At any moment, all he has to do is squeeze, and, and the air pipe is done. You, you get that, right? You understand the fact that you're still breathing, this is just the mercy of God? I mean, I, I think we know that deep down, and I think we'd all agree with that. But let that kind of sink in. It's just mercy that He's letting it, the air come in and go out properly. That's not a small thing. Belshazzar is taking it as a small thing. Verse 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. So Daniel says, that, This is why God sent it? Because you're ignoring Him and taking Him lightly? despising him, reviling him, and now he's going to get into the interpretation. And this is the writing that was written, many, many tekel person. This is the interpretation of the thing. Now these are Chaldean words, which is kind of strange because Belshazzar could speak Chaldean. We could also say Syriac. That's another name for that language. Some people would even say Aramaic. Again, just another name, same, same type of language. How is it that Belshazzar, who is a Chaldean, could not read the Chaldean. Well, there's two options, and maybe both of these things are true. One option, and you know how this is, th there, there are some Afrikaans words that are, it did is the O Afrikaans. And, and the only people that would get it is the O Uamis and Tanis. They're the only ones that would know that deep Afrikaans. I, I, almost every week, it used to happen on Thursdays, Brother Ronnie and Ms. Nicolene, they, they would come to the midweek service and they'd say, Pastor, Pastor, we want to teach you another, another uh, uh, proverb or something. They'd give me some deep Afrikaans. I need to start writing them all down. And they say, just use that. No one else knows that anymore. So God could write that Afrikaans on the wall and even Afrikaners would walk in and go, what is that? But but you can did. So it might just be that God wrote it in old uh, uh, Syriac, something of that nature. That, that's a, 
a plausible explanation. The other thing is this, is that God just blinded his heart. God blinded his mind. We read earlier that Nebuchadnezzar had hardened his own mind through pride. So it could be that God gave this man a, let's call it a spiritual or an intellectual blindness. As he's looking at the words, he just can't make sense of it. And there's a precedent for this. Romans chapter 11, do you remember reading this about Israel? That blindness in part has happened to them. So you can tell a Jew about his Messiah, but for some reason these plain and clear facts just go right past it. They just don't see the case, right? And, I, and that might be, it might be both things going on there. So verse number 26, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. All right, the word mene means numbered. So Daniel tells him, and he says it twice. This is just for emphasis. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. So it's no longer a running total. It's not like you're going to get another day. You had a beginning, and now you have an end. So I know how many, it's numbered. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, it is appointed unto men once to die. Your days are numbered. This is true. You, you're, you're not just physically now, I'm talking like as a mortal, you just don't go on and on and on. There's an there's end to that. Verse 27, Tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting, lacking. Tekel, the word means weighed. Think of it as scales. Now, this leans into the idea of, and in the Quran, coincidentally, a Muslim believes that on the day of judgment, God has this big scale, like literally a big scale. He puts all your good things on one side and all your bad on the other, weighs them out, and whichever one is more, God rewards you or punishes you based on that. If you've done good, paradise. If you've done bad, you go to hell. Right? And they weigh it out. That's not how the Bible explains our final judgment. Now, in the case of Belshazzar, yes, God weighed the deeds. But here's how judgment works. God weighs them out and says, are you righteous enough? The, the answer to that for all of us, not just Belshazzar, is no. We are found lacking. So what God does, He doesn't put your good on one side and your bad on the other and weigh them out. That's how Allah does it. Not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible puts His righteousness on one side and puts yours on the other. And if you want to enter into paradise, if you will, into a relationship with God that never ends, your righteousness has to be as much as His. So think of it this way to, to put a nice mental picture here. You on one side, Jesus on the other, best man wins. That's how judgment works. You say, oh, Brother Mike, that's impossible. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. The standard of judgment is Jesus. And if you're not as good as Him, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. So all of us can relate to this. When God weighs us against His holy standard, we're lacking. Verse 28, Paris or Paris. This is the uh, singular, uh, forgive me, this is the uh, plural of the word upersen. You can almost see if you take the U away in verse 25 from, and you just have farsen, Paris is the is the uh, plural, the singular is upersen, and it means divided. 
And I think the reason that when Daniel interprets it, he puts it into the, into the plural because there's two kingdoms. So he's dividing it one. You have to now have two, one, one for each. Perez, he says, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So all the things that you had, you've just lost them. What did Jesus say to an unsaved man? He said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can have everything, gold, silver, iron, wood, stone, praise it all, party, enjoy it. You're living the high life. You're in charge. You die without God's righteousness. You've lost it all. You lose your own soul. He says in verse number 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. I can see Daniel walking out. They've put all this stuff on him. He walks out the door and he takes the gold chain off and hands it to a beggar. <laughs> takes the robe off and lays it over some beggar in the street who's cold. Says, these things are absolutely useless. What good is it for the world to reward me? What good is it for this kingdom to reward me? This kingdom's about to go down. Some people spend their whole life trying to build their own little kingdom on this earth. Friend, it's all going to burn. You're going to leave it behind anyway. Verse number 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Imagine that, just a few hours later. The last important interaction in his life, the party was over. God's handwriting on the wall, you're lacking. That was the last important interaction of his life. Verse 31, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. There are many historical records about this particular event you have the name Darius is more of a title than a name so it's hard to kind of line up the historical records with what we have in the Bible because there are two or three different Dariuses the fact of the matter is on this night Cyrus was the king of Persia Darius was the king of the Medes and that the kingdom did fall every historical account agrees the Bible got verified historically one day friend the Bible is going to be verified in your life it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. God will judge you by His righteous standard. Learn from Belshazzar. Don't take it lightly. If you don't understand how to get through that judgment, ask somebody today. We'd love to show you how we can balance the scales. God's righteousness is offered to us as a free gift. By faith, you can be justified. Things can come right with God. Father, thank you this morning. What a blessing it is to get to study these things. And help us, Lord, to learn from what Belshazzar experienced. Lord, help us never to take lightly you or these sacred things you've given us. Bless the service to come and the fellowship now in between. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.